Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. It's great to be back with you. Uh, Mike Moses, I'm lead pastor here. Uh, uh, I have not been on vacation for the entire month of July. Uh, I was only on vacation for one Sunday at the beach, and then I uh, was able to share uh, life with one of our partner church plants, Liberation Church, meeting at Hornet's Nest Elementary and Pastor Davis. That was wonderful. They cook a whole, they have a team that cooks an entire breakfast for everybody who comes to church. Fantastic. Uh, and then last week I was at Lake Forest Westlake visiting one of our church plants and a church that's now in, in our, uh, the Lake Forest family of churches. Uh, our next Lake Forest church plant that will be uh, Spanish-speaking, Good Samaritan Church, launches September 8th. We're excited about that and we're praying about the location of our next church. Today we finish uh, summer superlatives. We're looking at Elisha, who in high school was named most likely to become a doctor. Sadly... I taught my boys how to play golf when they were already in high school. That's way too late, dads, moms, if you want your kid to groove a swing when they're little. It didn't take. But I took them out to the range at Burkdale. They were uh, 16 and 15 years old, big football guys, athletes. They're like, this is going to be no problem. You just hit a golf ball. And I said, okay, boys, here's what you do. When you play golf, you want to, you want to, You want to swing hard, but swing easy, and you'll hit it long and straight. Dad, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. We're big football guys. You swing easy because you're old, and you can't hit it hard. We are going to kill the snot out of this golf ball. And so my sons, my football playing boys, I mean, they they changed the wind and weather pattern that day in Huntersville, in our whole zip code. They were, you should have seen them swing it, coming out of their shoes, swing as hard as they could. And the balls would dribble right, and the ball would dribble left, and the ball might just go, worm, you know, kill a few worms for about 20 feet and stop. They could not hit it long and straight. I was like, sons, boys, Dylan, Austin, listen to me. I am your father. In golf, you swing easy, and you hit it long and straight. Like, Dad, that still makes absolutely no sense. But because you're older than us, and you've actually been, been playing golf for a while, we'll try it. So my big football boys, who are bigger than me, actually just slowed it down, swung easy, and Rich, you know what happened. Long and straight. They hit it down. Like, Dad, it didn't make sense. But it actually works because they trusted me, even though it didn't make sense. And life is an adventure in trust. When we marry someone, woo, what an act of trust that is. When you have children, what an act of trust. Like, where's that going to go? You don't know ahead of time. When we take a job, that's a huge trust. We're entrusting a big part of our life. And this comes into faith, into play for our faith in God. You're here because you're interested in the living God. You may have been his servant by following Jesus for many years, or you may be investigating the Christian faith at a new phase of your life. And trust ends up being the basis of our relationship with God through trust. And it 
comes into play at those times in particular when God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense. Swing easy, boys. Doesn't make sense. And we have to trust. Sometimes God asks us to do things that seem to be the opposite of what we think we should do. As we survey our situation, our environment, our relationships, what we know, where we are in life and our resources, and then we we look at something that God wants us to do as revealed clearly in the Bible, and we want to be like, God, I'm not mad at you. Um, I want to be on your team. I don't have anything against you. But that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up with reality as I see it. It's too far afield from normal. I don't understand it. God, if you would explain it to me, why? Then we could work this out. But on the surface, what you're asking me to do with this part of my life, God, doesn't make sense at all. So I can't do that because I don't understand it. And this is one reason millions of Christians have a patchwork faith, not total faith. And the parts of God's will that make sense to me, I'm down with. And the parts that don't, I'm not. And therefore, there is such a lack of actual spiritual vitality in so many of our lives. As I read the Bible, as I seek Christian counsel, as I listen to sermons or hear the Holy Spirit in my spirit, that just doesn't make sense, God. As pastor, people come to me with their, this doesn't make sense questions about God's clearly revealed will. One of the biggest things that people will talk to me about is, is like this whole idea of giving 10% financially back to God's work in this world. And if you've been in a good church that isn't afraid to actually teach what God says in the whole Bible, you will have seen this over and over, that God invites us to participate financially in the life of, of the church and missions, regardless of our financial situation with 10% of all that he's gifted us to be able to earn. And so then somebody comes in and who's in debt and says, wait a minute, I'm in debt here and I can hardly pay my bills. I don't just have spare cash laying around that has God's name on it and God's words asking me to give. That doesn't make sense. I've had several meetings that sounded like this. A divorced woman or man comes to see me and is like, Pastor Mike, I know what the Bible says about sex, and God designed it to be reserved within the boundaries of a marriage and all that stuff. But I'm divorced. Like, I was married. I did all that, like, for a bunch of years. And so does God really expect me to be celibate in my single-again life? That's not realistic. I mean, that's just for teenagers and youth group talks, right? Or somebody goes, Mike, I know what God says about being honest and ethical, but my industry and my job, frankly, are driven by dishonesty. Really, it's exaggeration and deceit is what greases the wheels in my profit margin at our work. And how could I change and yet survive where God led me to this job? We could keep going with illustrations, but the fact is, mark it down. At some point in your, in your faith walk of following God through Jesus Christ, maybe at a lot of points, and if it hasn't already happened, it will happen soon. You'll run into something in the Bible, where God will start to deal with you personally, and, and you find yourself at a crossroads, being like, God, I mean, I'm, I want to worship you. I acknowledge you. You're so good. I can't even walk outside, God, without giving you praise and honor and glory, especially on cool mornings this week after the heat. 
God, you're so good and obvious. But this just doesn't make sense what you're telling me. I don't understand. And we want to say, God, explain yourself and give me the reasons before I follow you in this part of my life. And one of the reasons it's confusing is in many aspects of God's will in his word, he does tell us why. Here's why this is the way I designed you to live, and it's best for a human, a homo sapiens. And here's why it's best to not do this for a homo sapiens. And God explains himself a lot of times, and we like that part of the God's word, don't we? But then there are times when he says, you have to trust me. This is best for you. Trust me even when it doesn't make sense. This brings us to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you want to read along in your own Bible, your app on your phone, I I recommend what is the most popular Bible app. It's just called the Holy Bible. Uh, it's awesome. Second Kings five. I'll have it on screen. And this is an old in the Old Testament. It's an event in the history of ancient Israel. They have become recently God's chosen adopted people. They're getting to know the one true God Yahweh, because God wants them to know His character and eventually birth the knowledge of this God back to humanity through Israel. Ultimately, through the representative suffering servant, prophet, priest, and king of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah. And so they're getting to know God's character, and we find a man in 2 Kings chapter 5 who's in a similar situation. Maybe you're here today, and you're in a relationship. You've been single a long time, and and you finally found the man or the woman that might be it. And as you move toward engagement or marriage, maybe though there's a gnawing on the inside because of of something you've been ignoring, and you feel as if maybe God is saying, no, this isn't the right one for you. And maybe your most wise friend or mentor or parents are kind of pointing you in that direction and you don't want to face it. You're like, God, it took me forever to find somebody. I've been single long enough to get tired of single problems. I want to try out married problems for a while. Surely, God, after all this time, you don't want to be to back out of this relationship. But maybe God's banging on your heart saying, I've got something different for you. And you're like, that, that doesn't make sense, God. I don't want to be lonely. I want you to know God is a reasonable God. God has the best reasons for everything he communicates to us. But sometimes we don't find that out until the other side when we act in trust or distrust of God's will. Oftentimes, we don't know the why until after. Maybe you're in a marriage and you just want out. I could keep going. And, like, there's no abuse, but all the circumstances around you are like, get out. And all the people at work, they're like, get out and come hang out with us. But as you look into God's word and as you listen to good counsel of people who love Jesus, you know the Lord is saying through the Holy Spirit, stay in and give it everything you've got so that you have no regrets. And you're like, that doesn't make sense, Lord. And sometimes we just don't understand. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. We're going to learn about Naaman and Elisha. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. That was like the word stage 4 cancer in that day. Verse 2. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. 
Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him gifts, ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. See, next, this is ancient Israel. This is in the years like 13-1200 B.C., okay? And next to the nation of Israel was this country, Aram. And every spring, Aram had a, a, a warring culture, a raiding culture. They would put together groups of soldiers, and they would raid neighboring groups of people, including Israel. If you've seen the, uh, uh, Angie and I are watching the series Vikings on Amazon video. If you've seen that, it's a similar type of Iron Age culture, a raiding culture. And they would take from Israel during these raids every spring crops, gold, and silver. And often they would take prisoners. And so instead of raising their own crops, mining their own precious metals, they just stole it from Israel <laughs> once a year and from other surrounding people, uh, and, and including this girl from Israel who knew about the prophet and the faith of Israel. Now, we also have to understand that Naaman was, was the second most powerful man in this group, uh, this, this federation of, uh, of cities called Aram. And this was a national catastrophe for such a man like the top general to come down with leprosy and know that he would be lost to them. So this young Jewish girl comes to Naaman's wife and says, well, there's a man, a prophet in Israel who I think could help my master Naaman with his leprosy because that prophet speaks for the one true God and sometimes God does miracles through him. I think you should go see him. And so Naaman is grasping at straws. He's like, I'll try anything. You, if you had a loved one, with, 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 with a serious illness and diagnosis, you will do anything. You will spend as much as you have to get the possibility of being healthy again. And so Naaman brings this huge gifts, and he goes to Israel to find this healer who he assumes is the king because they're a power culture, and he assumes somebody with that healing must be the king because they're the most powerful person. Verse 6, and the king of Aram says, well, let me send a letter to you. Since we're enemies and we go in there and steal from them once a year, let me just send a letter that's like a, a, a white flag so you can go in there peacefully. Verse 6, with this letter, the king of Aram said, Aram, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this guy send to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king of Israel assumes this is a political ploy. They're, they're, they're making this up, and they've made up this power that the king of Israel supposedly can cure him of leprosy. And, and when he can't, it will be their rationale. We know this in real politic. Uh, that will be their rationale for, well, look, you didn't heal him, and so we're going to come in and now just completely wipe Israel off the map. See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But fortunately, this little exchange leaked out into the public, and the head of the prophets named Elisha, who had quite a reputation for being an ecstatic man of God, full of the Spirit of God, he heard this. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have that man come to me. He will know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. 
Elisha sent a messenger out to say to him, Go, Naaman. Naaman is the general with leprosy. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, here are two key words, I thought, would you say that with me? I thought, we're going to own this, that we are an I thought kind of people. Can you say it with me again? I thought that he would surely come out to me because I'm super important. And he would stand and call the name of the Lord his God. And then he would do magic. He would wave his hand over the spot. Fireworks would happen. Little birdies would tweet. And my leprosy would be healed. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of these piddly creeks in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Will you say it with me one more time? I thought. I thought. <laughs> we are each an I thought kind of person toward the Lord God most high when it comes to God's will. You and I will never grow more spiritually into the mature, peaceful, joy overflowing, content, wise, spiritual oak tree who gives shade to others that you want to be until we acknowledge this about ourselves, and we start acting out of trust in God's will that's revealed to us, not, well, I thought about my sexuality, about my finances, about my, 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 my actual words to the people closest to me, about serving the poor and caring about them personally and and so societally and about being in God's word with regularity. As long as we live as a, well, I thought God, so I'm going to do it my way. Instead of a, I trust you, God, and I'll do it your way person. We will not grow into the oak of righteousness that the scriptures say is, is God's offer to each of us and his goodwill. Naaman is like so much like me. He pulls up, and he's got in his mind how this is going to go. And when we decide we're going to follow Jesus, we have in our mind how this is going to go. He's like, man, Elisha, like the prophet's going to come out, and he's going to bow and scrape to me because I'm awesome. I'm Naaman, man. I'm the general. I, I've been beating these people down for years. He's going to come out and be like, oh, great, Naaman. I'm so glad you're here, and you brought these gifts. And, and, and then he's going to do magic, and it's going to be amazing. Instead, Naaman pulls up. Elisha, did you notice, doesn't even come out and dignify him with his presence. He sends out a messenger who was probably a kid who was a, a, an apprentice prophet. This is a school of prophets that was in Israel at that time. So this kid comes out and, and doesn't want to get close to Naaman because he's got leprosy. And he's like, um, sir, uh, the man of God said you're to go dip in the water of the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cured. And then he goes back in and slams the doors. And Naaman is furious. I thought God's will would be different. And he's ticked off, and he's ready to leave. And here's his problem, and maybe where it touches my life, maybe yours. Naaman understood his need, and we're here at some level because we, we recognize a need for God. And he heard God's solution, but he didn't see the relationship between the two. And wouldn't trust. 
And he looked at his circumstances, her, his illness. He heard what God was asking him to do. And they were so far apart. He's like, what's that got to do with anything? I don't need a bath. I need to be healed. <laughs> we have rivers back where we're from anywhere, and they're bigger and better. What's the point? And that's where you and I are a lot of times. Maybe that's where you are some of the time. God, I understand my circumstances. I know about this. I'm here because I believe in you. I know I need you in my life, but I see what you've asked me to do with this part of my life in the scriptures, and I don't understand the connection. Now, God, if you give me an explanation, give me some more information to let me see the connection, because I want to be obedient to you, but I just don't get it, and i got to hold back. And maybe this is a clue, according to one commentator, as to why God works this way sometimes in ways that we don't understand. It's because of an tendency. When God asks us to do certain things that we don't understand is maybe he wants us to focus on the relationship. Because often we focus on the reason, not the relationship. But there come certain points in our life when God rocks our boat in order to get us to focus on the relationship instead and cause us to ask the question, is my focus in my faith on the reason or the relationship? Because some of us, we're so prone to look for the reasons and principles in the Bible, which is a good thing to do. And we want to do the right thing because we understand and we can line up A, B, C. That makes sense. I get that. Why that's, God says that honors him and is best for me. And abundant life is found down that pathway and I can see down that path. But we can get so cause and effect principle-oriented in our Christian faith that we can miss the fact that we're relating to the living God. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who Jesus says is love at his core. And every once in a while, that God says, here's what I want you to do. You're not going to understand why. I'm not going to tell you why. We're like, but why God? Because I want you to trust in me, not your ability to figure out why. It's what I've called you to do. Trust me. And boy, is that difficult sometimes. But you see, God's purpose behind this is because he loves you. And he lo this is not just about doing right and wrong things. It's about relationship. And the essence of any good relationship at some point is trust. At some point along the way, we and the Lord have to make sure that we are really, really genuinely day by day trusting God through his self-revelation through Jesus and his word. Not just living by our rationality and what makes perfect sense to us anyway and our limited ability as human beings. God, that doesn't make sense. I know, he says, but it will Trust me in the meantime. Trust me. I, I was thinking of examples of this in my own life, and I thought of a, a, of a time in my life that a few of you are, are about to go through. When I went off to college my freshman year, and I, I had a, a great youth pastor who mentored me, much like our, our man, uh, Cammy, and my call, Kip, and all of our remix leaders are remarkable in how they mentor teenagers here at Lake Forest. But I had the youth pastor who mentored me, Mike. If, you're, if you want to be a Jesus-centered person, yes, I do, then the first thing you do when you get to college, the first week, don't put this off, is plug into a, a regular, committed Christian fellowship. 
because it's around other Christians and learning God's word. Uh, that's how you grow in your faith over time. Otherwise, if you do it by yourself, the, the, the flame burns down. I was like, okay, yes, sir. The Bible says don't give up meeting together. So I went to college, and I did that. I visited the two main Christian fellowships on campus, and I hated them. They were so lame. That was probably just me. But, it, but I thought, I thought, it's going to be awesome. All cool kids will be there. It's going to be like gallons and gallons of beautiful Christian girls. Like the hottest chicks on campus. There's going to be leaders that I respect immediately and want to follow. No. Little two tiny groups of people. And I was a judgy kind of kid anyway. I was like, I, didn't, I hated that. I thought it would be awesome and easy that God said in his word, don't forsake meeting with other believers. And so, okay, God, I'm trying to follow through on your will. And I thought that would mean it would be awesome and feel good and cool. But because of my, I'm so thankful for Steve and Dennis, my youth pastors, because they drilled into me. God says, don't give up meeting together with other believers regularly on Sundays and in small groups throughout the week, like the early church, studying God's word, worshiping God with other believers. Okay, God, doesn't make sense, but I'm going to go. And I did. And God showed up so much in my life through those four years in that group of people. My goodness. He grew me like a weed spiritually. And I happened to meet my wife there a year later. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome as well. I didn't know the reason for a while, but I trusted, followed through, and then God's faithfulness showed up. That's always where his faithfulness is found, is when we act according to his clear direction. When you get yourself in that place, his faithfulness just is abundant. That's the GPS coordinates for it. As Christians, sometimes we get so focused on like the, the, the reasons why. Because God is good and most of his will does make perfect sense to us. We're like, duh, that's the best way to live. But sometimes, if we're too focused on the reasons, then in the areas where our rationality and what I thought doesn't line up with what God says, we opt out. And therefore, we opt out of the GPS coordinates for God's faithfulness in that part of our life and where he wants to overwhelm us with his blessings and his goodness. And those are times when we just have to step out and trust him. Because the Bible is all about, in this summer series, we've looked at a few different people in the hall of faith. This, this series is all about people who, who, who either trusted God and were glad or they didn't trust God. And that wasn't good. It was disappointing. Your life and mine are a string of stories, one writer says, where you trusted God and you were super glad about that. And some stories where you didn't trust God and you regretted it. That's the story of our lives. And I'm glad you're here because you want your story to be meaningful as a subplot in God's larger story that he's writing in the universe. Okay, this story continues. Verse 13, what happens? 
thankfully, Naaman, for his sake, he had the kind of person in his life that you and I both need. He, he had a friend who cared enough and dared enough to speak the truth to him. This is one of the many reasons why I don't give up meeting with other Christians. Do you have a mentor or a peer mentor in your community group, men's, women's group, your remix group, who you've, you, here's what you have to do, though. You have to say to them, hey, I have three people in my life who I've said this to. Hey, I know, you know, I'm kind of like lead pastor guy, and people just sort of give me a broad wake and let me do stuff. But when you see me messing up, you not only have the right, you have the responsibility. I'm going to blame you if you don't to tell me, Mike Moses, you're about to step in it, fool. I need those three guys in my, it takes three of them for me. Naaman had one of those guys. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went straight to him and said, dude, if the prophet had told you to do some great heroic thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? A simple thing. See, they were, they were headed off in a huff because of Naaman. No, no, go back one. We're not to the rest of the story yet. Let's go back a slide. Let's go back a slide. Wouldn't you, if he'd asked you to do some heroic deed, wouldn't you have done it? Like if the, the servant is like, hey, Naaman, if the prophet had said, in order to be healed of leprosy, you must scale Mount Mitchell and bring me back the scalps of seven big feet, wouldn't you have done that? And Naaman's like, oh, <laughs> yes, God asked me to do something big and heroic one time. And his friends are like, well, he just, then just give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Like, do the normal thing. Just go dip in the river seven times. Give it a try. And this reminds me of googly-eyed conversations that I have with people as pastor. I call them googly-eyed conversations that people have with me. It'll be, it might be here after a worship service or it might be some other time. Somebody will come up and be like, Mike, Pastor Mike, I just experienced the presence of God and Jesus, and I'm so in love with him. I'm so fired up in my faith. I am just so pumped, man. I'm all in. I'm back. I'm good. Never going back again. I'm oh, This is so good, Pastor Mike. How do I keep the Jesus juice flowing, Pastor Mike? Because this is awesome. I love faith. And I'll be like, and here's what they want, the answer that Naaman wanted. Go climb Mount Everest and bring back an ancient copy of the Bible that came down from an alien before evolution even happened. But they, they want some great deed. And here's what I will say to them. Well, you want the Jesus juice to keep flowing if that's what you want to call it? Let me tell you, wake up tomorrow, open up the Bible because God's always speaking and he's so gracious to speak to us. And let him speak to you a little bit. Start with the Gospels. And then speak back to him. That's called prayer. Do that. Repeat. Rinse. Repeat. Rinse. Repeat. Every day. And then be in like a community group. A men's or a women's or a group of people studying the Bible together. Just like the earliest church did. They met in homes. They ate some stuff. Talked about God's word. Prayed for one another. So they did life together with other Christians. And over time that will grow you. And then... You, God's giving, because you're a Christian now, God's giving you a spiritual gift that he has intended for you to share in your church to help other people grow spiritually by serving and give 10% of your finances to his work in this world. That, that just happens to be his plan, how he decided to get stuff done. 
and live on mission, go on mission every day, the way you view your job, your, your schoolwork, your teammates, be on mission to love people in the name of Jesus and every now and then go serve an aching need in this world on the mission of God. And they'd be like, well, Pastor Mike, that's kind of ordinary stuff. I tried that. And, and, you know, after a week, there was no more fireworks. That's like ordinary. I'm like, yes, these are the ordinary means of grace. Well, I mean, come on, Pastor Mike. I mean, I'm, let's just be honest. I'm probably not going to read God's Word very often. I might do that about twice a year, so scratch that one off the list. I already got a bunch of friends and a busy life. Being a, like, every week or every other week, small Christian group studying God's Word. And by the way, religious people are weird. Did you not know that? There's going to be some people in there that I don't just love. So I'm not doing that one either. Serve in my church? I mean, dude, I think Jesus is super happy that I come to worship for, for an hour and five minutes. That's what we shoot for. Uh, an hour and five minutes twice a month. And go on mission. I mean, come on. Can't I just go climb Mount Everest one time and keep the Jesus juice flowing? Friends, here's what I know in my life and in yours. And I want to emphasize this. I just do. It's so important. The people who avail themselves of God's most ordinary means of grace, as taught in God's word, as exemplified in the life of Jesus revealed in the gospels. The people who avail themselves of those ordinary activities of grace, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, those are the people that I know who are, in the words of the prophet, growing into oaks of righteousness. And the shade of their tree is magnificent. I want that for you and for me. And at Lake Forest, we just call that the discipleship strategy of discover, belong, share, and go. Discover God's word by being in it regularly, yourself, with others every Sunday, and in groups. Belong in some kind of Christ-centered small group peer mentoring deal where you do life together. Share your time, your talents, and your treasure to help other people grow in their faith in your church and go on the mission of God all day, every day, just like Jesus. Wherever he was, he knew God had sent him on mission to love that person that he was locking eyes with in that moment and then sometimes in spectacular ways. And the Jesus juice will flow, man. You will grow because God's word is true, we have to trust and take the step even when we don't understand and that seems so ordinary. You're like, great, but what happened to Naaman? Let's finish. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God and stood before him and said, hey, my leprosy's gone. My life is cooler now. He didn't. He said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. 
Surely he got cleansed of his leprosy. But what's more important is his relationship with God took a leap forward. In the transaction of Naaman's trust, he intersected with God's power. And for you and me, when we step out and trust God, it's as if the power and the provision of God becomes so real that we come away from those experiences not excited about what we did or not even necessarily excited about the blessing that's now real in our life that we can name, but excited more about the fact that our lives touched the life of God because of trust. Let's pray and then worship this great good God. And as we worship, please open up your life to the Spirit of God. Would you stand while I pray and let's prepare to worship in response. Uh, Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, what your spirit does when we actually really engage with your word, and for those in this room who have engaged with your word this morning, oftentimes your spirit turns a flashlight on one part of our life. And Lord, would your Holy Spirit turn a flashlight on one area of our life where we have been trusting you even though it didn't make sense, help us to be thankful for that and name the blessings. And Lord, help each of us as we worship you. Would you shine a flashlight? We invite you to an area of our life where we are not trusting God. And would you give us the face of the person who we'll share that with this week and talk it over. And we now trust you with that part of our life. We will follow. And God, thank you that we can trust you ultimately because of Jesus. God become man who told us God is who God is, love. Thank you for Jesus who showed us what God is like, full of grace and truth, and the God who met our greatest need and did for us what we can't do for ourselves. Thank you that Jesus laid down his life on the cross to die an atoning death for our sins and rose again from the dead, exhibiting power over the grave, over evil, sin, and suffering. And thank you that by faith we can join him in a resurrected kind of life now and a new heavens and a new earth later. We worship you now, Lord. Shine your flashlight in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.